Hey, I'm Craig Finn. This is my podcast. That's how I remember it. Each episode, I host one creative guest to speak about their memory and how it affects the stories they tell others as well as the stories they tell themselves. Today, I'm excited to have Alinda Cigar on the show. Alinda records music as Hooray for the Riff Raff. They've been putting out music since 2007 or so. I became a huge fan about five years ago. I was listening to The Current, the Minneapolis radio station. I heard the song Living in the City. It's from their 2017 record, The Navigator. I dove in and found a ton to love from the catalog and the ensuing releases. And now they have an incredible new record called The Past is Still Alive. It's about to drop in a week or so. And I'm lucky enough to have been listening to that. And it's an absolute favorite of mine. Um, just just a thrilling record. Uh, we talked about the record as well as New Orleans, New York, Losing Parents, so much more. I really enjoyed this talk. Uh, thank you so much to Alinda for joining. Here we go. Alinda Segura from Hooray for the Riff Raff. Thank you for joining us on That's How I Remember It. Super happy to have you here. I start all these with the same question, which is this. Do you think you have a good memory? I complain a lot about how bad my memory is <laughs> to my friends. <laughs> do, do you think it's, do you actually think it's bad? You know, I think it's different than what a lot of people seem to experience. My friends remember where we were. They remember the names of towns. They remember times of year. And I remember feelings mostly, but I'll have no idea where we were, <laughs> you know? Emo emotional memory, though. Yeah. Like yeah. emotional memory. So that that's interesting though i mean you know I, I i started this talking i thought all writers would say oh, i have the best memory i'm telling the real story here you know yeah and it's not been the case at all um and the emotional things come up once you know every once in a while but how do you think that plays into your songwriting like how do you think your that that memory shows up well i think um a lot of the time the the hardest part that i'll have is uh details that are really here in the material world, you know, I think I have to work on that part. And sometimes I have to really remember like, oh yeah, structure. I need to, <laughs> I need to build a house for this song. Um, because a lot, a lot of the time it'll just be the message of the emotion that comes so clearly. So I'll have, I'll have that. And I have to force myself to do all the other structural stuff, you know? How do you do the other structural stuff? Do you go, do you sort of just think harder to try to try to figure out what was there at the time? No, I give it time. You know, I like really, there are some songs that will take me a long time um, and I try to be patient with it. But with this record specifically, I was doing kind of like exercises to trigger my memory because I started to get worried that I didn't, I wasn't going to be able to kind of hold on to the life that I had led so far right. because it felt like it was very fleeting. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of things that happened to me in the past year that made me a little bit more worried about that. And this record was me, you know, giving myself little, I notice that I'll remember something if, if somebody says a certain place or you know like they'll trigger the memory i i need my friends to kind of like usher that part um <laughs> it's funny because you say that and i i think that some part of songwriting in general for me is me trying to 
I want to say impress my friends, but, you know, show off to them a little bit or, yeah. you know, um, and, 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 and they play a role. And I, it's the one thing, the, the, the thing I like about writing songs rather than a longer, more solitary thing is that, you know, you have that and you have that back and forth. The thing that's interesting is there's so many details on this record. Yeah. So like Snake Plant, I think about, you know, the song Snake Plant. It's, it's chock full of, of what seems like memories and very detailed memories. Yeah, that was me really, you know, I, I discovered that I actually wrote that when we were still in lockdown. That was one of the first songs I wrote for this batch of this collection. And I was, tr I realized that I had flashes of memory. So I, I, and I didn't know what to do with them. And I realized, oh, I can just kind of create a memory box in a song. And I don't have to, you know, I, I think I'd been thinking a lot about like, how one day I'd love to write a memoir. And I was getting down about it being like, how am I going to do that? I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to be able to tell a linear story of my life. So that was me kind of embracing, not experiencing time or memory in this linear way. Like just creating little shelves of here's this flash, here's this flash mm -hmm. and embracing it or, or, allowing myself to experience it in that way. And you said you don't remember geography that well. I mean, yeah. travel, travel sort of part of your story for um, sure. in some way, but, but, but it, it, it comes off as a blur in some way, or are you remember Definitely only a blur? Interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. And also I find, I don't know if this happens to you, but people, and it's not, you know, I find that for some of my friends, you tell them something that happened and they're like, I was blacked out. I don't remember that. <laughs> but for me, I'm like, I don't even have really that, <laughs> that <laughs> excuse. So I think I was like emotionally blacked out, but they'll be like, remember we were at so-and-so's house and this happened. And, and I'm just like, doesn't ring a bell. I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. One of the things I've asked people are, do, are there any periods of your life that you have like more vivid memories or less vivid memories? Do you have, or, or is it, or is it consistent? Do you, do you consistently feel that way? I think it's kind of consistent. I know for sure my childhood is a huge blur, mm -hmm. but a lot of my childhood, I was really, you know, playing pretend and like my mind was somewhere else. Cause I was just ready grow up. I was ready to get out. And, um, you know, that's what punk became for me was this kind of magical place. I was like, wow, I can escape to this, like, you know, land of misfits and mm -hmm. escape the reality of my, of my home life and my family life. Do you have in childhood, do you have a first memory where you remember reacting to music? Oh yeah. 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 That's really uh, vivid for me. What is it? It was the song, uh, The Lion Sleeps Tonight oh, cool. in the jungle. And yeah. I remember hearing it. I had a little Walkman. I must have been like in kindergarten and I had it on. And I just remember being so hypnotized. And, and you know, I was really obsessed with like 1950s music, 1960s music as a kid. That's like mm -hmm. the music that was my aunt and uncle raised me and that was their music. Mm -hmm. um, and I just remember like the sounds, the production, you know, of course they didn't have those words, right? but I was just like, I got high from it. Mm -hmm. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's exciting 
I remember that being exciting music as well. What about what about like the first music that was that you went out and found that wasn't you know your aunt and uncles, it wasn't your anyone older's was was it punk? Yeah, for sure. You know, I used to go to this place ABC No Rio mm -hmm. in the Lower East Side, and they had a matinee for for underage kids every Saturday and it was only $5 and it was like at 3 p.m. And I remember when I first discovered those shows, I think I was probably at like, you know, like a Weezer show or something. Yeah. And then like, I got a flyer at that show and it was this game of being like, how can I dive deeper and deeper? You know, I, I got this like this first level, but how do I go like deeper into this world? And when I got to ABC, I just remember being like, this is it. This is what I want to do with my life. Mm -hmm. And it was really exciting because it was something to do every week. So I just like became dedicated to being like, oh, I'm going to be one of the people who's here every Saturday, you know? Did you did you volunteer work there? Did you just were you just a, uh, a patron? No, I think I was mostly <laughs> underage drinking, <laughs> uh, which they did not approve of no. um yeah I, I was mostly a, a hank like a loiterer <laughs> right right no i get it i i i had the same thing when i was a, when i was young which was um earlier but uh, it was when i started to go to shows and find and the same way like someone you know like literally getting a flyer and i don't mean to be like yeah. oh grandpa 80s but like there was nothing no other way to get information than than like if you show up at this place at this time this might happen and yeah. i mean, might and i say might because it didn't always but like <laughs> um but 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 like and then when i look back on it now it was as simple as I got to meet people from other schools, you know, totally. like, like, and that was maybe the biggest function of all to make me understand that, you know, beyond my whatever situation I was in, in my own school, that other things were possible. And I guess that's an underrated thing about punk or any really, I guess, or pursuing anything in some way. Yeah, especially for me and growing up in New York City, I grew up in the Bronx and mm -hmm. being able to meet kids from other boroughs and, you know, just I think there was just something so relieving about meeting kids that were also, you know, I, I grew up in post 9-11 New York. I was a, a freshman when 9-11 happened. And to be able to be with other kids who are also really disgusted by like this pain being manipulated into this excuse for war was so important because I felt like I was crazy. That's how I was being treated in school. You know, it was just like so early on and the reaction was so strong. So um, just meeting other kids with, with the same political views or the same questioning was really um it just saved me well and and, and so activism or political awareness was was tied into the punk thing i guess then for sure correct? for yeah. sure yeah do you have any i i asked this someone i met someone who told me this is a good question for my podcast and now oh, that cool. you brought up 9-11 i i think it is do you have a song that you think of when you think of 9-11 do you, do you have any music that you attach to that event i mean i it's I don't know if you have ever listened to them, but this band Leftover Crack was oh, a yeah. huge part of my growing up. 
And I used to go see them. They would play at the, at Tompkins Square Park mm-hmm. in New York, in the Lower East Side, and they would do a free show. And they would do it, I think, every 9-11. So when I would like, you know, for the years to come and it was probably like hundreds of kids, you know, who would come. And so that's the band that I think of. That's like the music I hear when I think about that time. That makes tons of sense. They were a really political and big punk band in those post 9-11 years. And and causing, I don't want to say causing trouble, but kind of causing trouble, you know, in a good way. Uh, very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I think back on like the image of like hundreds of 16 year olds, like singing their lyrics, I'm like, wow, there's no question that I would grow up to be who I am because, <laughs> you know, that's a great one. Another question I've been asking everyone is music in any way seasonal to you? Like, are there, is there music that sounds better summer or sound better in winter, fall, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I um I always think about uh Blood on the Tracks as an autumn record for me. You know, um that's like very much I feel like I have specific memories of being on tour and mm-hmm. listening to that on my headphones or looking out the, you know, at the changing leaves because in New Orleans we don't really get a fall. So I I think of the Northeast and I think of fall for that record. It's funny. I think of winter for that one. Oh, and, wow. Uh, and that's interesting. That makes and there, sense too. Well, the reason is, is I just, I, the back, there's one part of the backstory. I, I grew up in Minneapolis and when Dylan came home, I think he came home for like holiday break, Christmas, whatever. Oh, wow. And he wanted to record some of the songs and he got, I mean, I wouldn't say amateur musicians, but not like the type of musicians he was known to play. And he just did it in a studio in Minneapolis. Not all of it, but some Whoa, of it. Cool. And so there's guys, that. there's a few guys that are like these West Bank musicians that ended up playing on Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks. Damn. Just because kind of his brother knew him, right? right. So I always think about that session. I think about cold Minnesota and, you know, like, uh, but it's funny how we imprint these things on our, on, on different music, you know? Is there, what about music like, right? I guess, is it fall down there now? Are, are you in New Orleans? Yeah, I'm in New Orleans now. Yeah, I would say that we're entering winter. You know, it gets a little bit more overcast. And even though it's nothing compared to Minneapolis, um, we <laughs> well, do have like our version of being cold. You know, it's um, it's probably like 50 degrees to us is cold, but so, we, so we like is, to say it's a wet cold. This is blood on the tracks weather. That's what you're saying? Yeah, or- I think so. Yeah, cool. Um, how about geography? Like, do you, when you you know you moved you, and you and you toured and you've also traveled a lot, is there music that sounds better in New York? Is there music that sounds better in New Orleans, etc.? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think like especially hip hop. You know, like when I go to New York, like listening to Nas in New York, it's like there's no better experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then like coming to New Orleans and listening to like. DJ Jubilee or listening to like New Orleans Bounce or like hearing Lil Wayne in New Mm -hmm. Orleans is like, it just feels like, oh, this is how you're supposed to experience this, you know? Did you, did you go to New Orleans on travels and say like, this is, this is my, you know, this is where I want to be or did, or, or did you always think about New Orleans? No, I didn't really know a lot about it. You know, like in the punk scene, it, it was a lot of word of mouth, a lot of like, 
traveler kids saying to other traveler kids like, oh, you can do this there. Oh, it's like really easy to squat there. Or for New Orleans, everyone was like, you can busk on the street and nobody, you know, like fucks with you. Yeah. Um, and I didn't even really play music, but I knew that it was a place that I could at least like try to make some money. I knew that it, I just kept hearing about how it was unlike any other place in America. So at that point, I had already done the West Coast and I had done, you know, some of the Midwest and I was like, might as well try. And when I got here, my whole life just kind of like made sense suddenly. It was like I'd been searching for I'd probably been on the road for like a year. Mm -hmm. um, And I felt I was mostly spare changing, you know, and dumpster diving. Mm -hmm. And when I got here, I just had like. Uh, interest in poetry and, and singing already. And I started busking with a couple of friends and it was like the, the support and the encouragement I got was so strong that I was like, I'd be crazy not to live here. This is like where people, it, it was kind of as simple as like, people like me here. <laughs> so I should probably <laughs> do this, you know? The new record is it's called "The Past Is Still Alive," and one of the when I was listening to it, it's so good. And the, the, what I was thinking about, like you know, the title in regards to everything, and I was thinking about, in one sense, um, about like you know, folk music and and the way we kind of keep things uh, traditions alive and pass them down, yeah. etc. And I'm curious when you were, it made me think when you were talking just now about busking and playing with other people, what kind of music were you? Like, were you writing your own stuff already or were you sharing other, you know, like like playing covers and things you all knew? Um, a lot of covers. And I think what when I look back, it was like all of my friends, we all had our own um, interests, you know, like some of my friends were really getting deep on Eastern European klezmer music. Mm -hmm. And I was really into old time fiddle banjo music. And, you know, it, it was about what we were focused on learning. If you were a fiddle player, you wanted to master this. And for me, I was really into the Appalachian, you know, folk songs because I loved, I'd already been writing uh, poetry in high school and I loved how, how much these stories were t telling with like very limited frameworks, you know? And that's also what made me start listening to early blues was because it was like, wow, this is like a haiku. Like, how are they able to say so much with like these few words, you know? Um, so that's what I was really getting excited by. And I was dabbling with songwriting um, and my friends just were really supportive. And, and maybe I think the first songs I was started writing, I was 19. Hey, I'm Craig Finn. Here on That's How I Remember It, we often talk about music, so I wanted to mention DistroKid and their new app for iPhone and Android. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. Over a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. With this app, you can sign up and pay for a new DistroKid account, or sign into an existing one. You can upload new releases. You can get notified when you've earned royalties, edit your account details, check your streaming stats, add lyrics and song credits, edit release metadata, and so much more. 
The DistroKid app is now available on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. How about making this record? What's your first memory of kind of making this record? Like the first step that you took that transitioned from Life on Earth period, the last record, to this. Uh, are you writing all the time? Not normally. <laughs> this, you know, I've been saying this joke of like, well, you know, things have been bad because I wrote a record really quick. <laughs> um yeah, normally I don't write this fast, but and I was able to write this year on the road in a way that I never have before. But I think my on like the biggest memory for me is, you know, losing my dad. It's almost going right. to be a year, and I had already had, uh, like you know, the big bulk of it written by the time he passed. He passed very suddenly, um, but that moment it felt like oh that's what this whole thing is about that it was a very surreal coming together of everything you know i i'd had the the title already i had these songs that were mentioning him you know snake plant the beginning of snake plant is all about me and my dad traveling to florida every year in a minivan um from new york and so that was what that's what I think about when I think about this record. I, I lost my mom uh, 10 years ago. Is there, and, and I found grief to be profound and um, also surprising. Do you, have you, has, has the grief surprised you? Yes. I think I didn't, you know, I wrote a lot about death before and it was, I felt like it was my duty in my community to write about the passing of, of people that my friends really loved or people that I, I had known, but not very well. I felt like that's what I was doing to contribute, um, was kind of carrying these people in, in my songs and honoring them. So I thought that I had a grasp on what the whole process was and I just, it just like ripped me open. You know, I, I couldn't believe, I, I know a couple of months, you know, after his passing, I just kept getting hit with like, I can't believe people are doing this all the time. I can't believe like, this is what people were feeling. And it made me feel so much empathy, but you just don't know till you know. I, I can't believe you you put that exactly how I when my mom when my mother passed and actually a friend came over and his mother had passed a little while before and he said you know when he got on like a crowded subway and in into positions where he would previously have been annoyed yeah he started to have these moments of massive empathy like everyone here is suffering in their own way yeah and it put me in touch with that um and that's, I think, what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, you get in an Uber ride or like you go to the checkout aisle and you're like, I don't know, maybe you just lost your dad, you know, mm -hmm. like, and I think also it really um, enlivened this feeling of time, not, you know, experiencing time, not in an, a linear way, because I kept hearing that grief isn't linear and now that I'm experiencing it, it just, um, it makes me feel like 
you know, it feeds more into this album of I'll feel like, oh, I'm doing pretty all right, actually. I understand now, you know, I'll be like talking to myself, basically being like, yeah, I get it. My dad's gone. Got it. I'm doing okay. And then maybe an hour later, I smell something and I'm just like, where is he? This doesn't make any sense, you know? Yeah, I I I was I remember doing the summer after I was doing pretty good, and then our cat died, and oh. it was like it was like is everyone just gonna die, you know? Like like totally. I was it made me really angry, like like at the universe, because yes. it was like like you know um, I don't know, uh, and, <laughs> and I don't know if if you experience this, it's how it's really changed my relationship to success and to the music, like music as a career and that's been actually a gift there there have been moments where i'm like damn i feel so jaded because i'm like i don't know who cares if like it's successful or not <laughs> like but at the same time it's freed me of feeling like i need to prove myself or i need to reach some kind of level of success because i'm like my dad was the coolest and i just wanted to impress him really and now <laughs> Yeah. I'm really lucky in the way that like, I know I did. So it's brought this piece to me of like, maybe this will be a success or maybe, you know, like a small number of people will like it and that's fine too. I I 100% understand that uh, exact feeling. I, my mother was was impressed and supportive and and then it would allows me to just sort of go forth, you know. Yeah. Uh, um one one thing I'm bagging up for a second something you said that I thought was super interesting and because I've talked to with other people about this that um I had this idea of kind of songs as like monuments, you know, like, mm -hmm. like, you know, we build monuments to generals and people like that, but there's some songs, some of yours, some of other people I've talked to that kind of come off as like building memorials and monuments to people that don't normally get monuments. Yeah. That tracks for you? Definitely. Yeah. I, I think like, Especially, you know, it makes me think of the song Hawk Moon. On I was going to say Miss Jonathan, right? Yeah, I'd been trying to write about my friend Miss Jonathan for like a decade. And I just never could figure out how to tell the story because also, again, my memory is really spotty. <laughs> and I had met her when before I started uh, playing music in New Orleans. I was still 17 and I was still just spare changing and dumpster diving and um, she was the first trans woman I'd ever met. And I just like was so obsessed with her and we became fast friends and, you know, we'd go like shoplift together and drink together and ride around in her like extremely illegal car. <laughs> and, and I felt really safe with her. And, uh, I just, I had been, and I haven't seen her in over a decade, you know, mm -hmm. our time together was really short, but she is very much still a part of my life. I feel like I still carry her with me and I don't even know if she's alive. Right. Um, but she's just one of those people that was like, people deserve to hear about her because she was so impactful. Yeah. I think that there are a lot of great songs, yours, but also, I mean, in just the world that function that way to say, yeah. hey, this person is worth a monument, you know? Yeah. And that's also what grief taught me too, that it's like, 
it's it feels impossible to tell somebody it feels so um cliche to be like you would have loved them they were the shit they were the coolest you know yeah. and it feels like you hear that all the time but then when you're the one saying it you're like no honestly <laughs> and it makes me realize that there are all these there's unknown legends all around us you know but that's definitely always been a a vehicle in my songs i wrote a song about this um this woman sally grace when i was like in my early 20s who was another traveling kid who we lost way too early um, and she had changed my life and, and, you know, I had only spent like a couple of days with her. Mm -hmm. So that's the other thing about time is it's not even really about the amount of time that you spent with some of these characters or people. It can be very short and it can be so potent. In kind of connection to this, you know, you mentioned on, on the song Buffalo, Mm. A number of extinct species, so woolly mammoth, uh, Backman's warbler, Mariana fruit bats, etc. And I, I think nature appears a bunch on this record, but also certainly also big time on the last one, Life on Earth, uh, related to where we are as a planet. Why does nature show up in your songs and how? And um, uh, I, I'm just curious what you think of that. Well, you know, I had a lot of time to meditate on that um, during lockdown, and I think I didn't, because I grew up as an inner city kid, uh -huh. I had this idea that I was very detached from the natural world. Uh, but then looking back on my time when I ran away, it was really, a, I, I took shelter and I like went to, you know, nature and this and other life forms as like a form of, of like, comfort you know and of literally shielding me you know we'd hide in the bushes or we'd sleep under a tree where nobody could see us or we'd go there when it was raining and and um it just carried on throughout my life in a way that i didn't recognize so when lockdown happened and we we were all cut off from other people in person i was so lucky to be in new orleans where i could go walk along the bayou and watch all these birds migrating and be around trees that were hundreds of years old who had, you know, survived so many hurricanes and so many crises. So that was my time to really recognize that. And in Buffalo, I was really thinking about the difficulty of, of just like being in love in this modern world and how sometimes it feels like you're up against a clock and you're up against so many elements like how just being in love or being in a you know solid relationship can feel like you're endangered <laughs> <laughs> i i took it almost to mean as um I don't know. I, I thought there was a wisdom to it in there that you're passing along that some, you know, advising patience, meaning mm -hmm. I, I think it, uh, if I'm right, it means that hunting a buffalo, you know, they track it for like weeks, right? Sometimes is that, mm. is that correct? Well, for me, the, the meaning was about the buffalo, like, you know, surviving still and how they're coming back. They're this symbol of resistance. They're the symbol of like, we're going to find a way no matter what, even if we are endangered or under threat. Yeah. I, 
I knew that because when I was a kid, I remember I did like a report on the buffalo coming back. Whoa, cool. And and uh and so I, I really like I was like, wow, this is coming back to me in my fourth grade report as you started to list off these well, woolly mammoth I knew was extinct, the Backman warbler, and I had to look up the other two, but then I was like, I knew that you know, I, I did get that. But do you think is persistent are these lessons from nature you know is persistence one and and does do you feel like you understand the value of persistence through nature this way yeah i think as i get older patience persistence you know it, it immediately makes me think of meditation it makes me think about just healing and my relationship with my mind or my relationship with my anxiety mm -hmm. and being able to as lovingly as I can tell myself like, okay, we're going to let that go. We're going to let that thought go. And then needing to do it again and needing to do it again and again and again. I think that is my relationship to persistence, but also it, it's my relationship to making music and to trying to be a working artist in, you know, in these times and being like, I'm just going to keep creating and I'm going to hope that I receive support and that people, you know, connect with it and just continuing on doing that. I always feel small in a good way when I'm like confronted by the vastness of nature. And I thought really uh, like yeah. when you say return to the rocks and stones in the, in the song vetiver, I was like, that's cause yeah, you can get hung up on these little things and then you see the ocean or a, you know, a mountain or something and you're like, Oh, that doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, totally. as I said earlier, there's a part of your story that, you know, I know is, is the traveling and, You've talked about that place seems important, even though you said you don't have great geographic memory. A lot of places show up on your on your record. You know, right away we hear about the East River Park and the FDR, but then Minnesota, close to my heart, the Pueblo, Castro, Nebraska, San Francisco. I'm wondering how your you think your traveling has changed you and your music. Well, it's definitely made me um, love people. Mm -hmm. You know, um, for as as frustrating as we are. <laughs> um, and I grew up really being interested and loving people, just people watching in New York City. But mm -hmm. I think my traveling just taught me about, you know, I think there's something about meeting someone in every part of the country that just tells you kind of TMI about what they're going through. And suddenly you're connected and you realize that we're all going through the same human condition. Mm -hmm. um, I think that has really affected me. And, and also just having these like, you know, romantic in the sense of like an artistic life, romantic moments, you know, and, and placing myself within the history of the place, going to a place like the Castro in SF or, or going to City Lights Bookstore and being able to place mm -hmm. myself in the history of that place and feeling like my art and my creation and just my existence is a part of a lineage. And, and to feel like I'm connected with these ancestors that are artistic ancestors or radical ancestors, people that 
you know, are not my blood family, but feel very much like my family. And maybe I, ne I never met them, but their poem got me through high school or, you know, and then I get to be in the place. One of the things I sort of wrote down that at least sounded profound to me when I was listening was, uh, was that, you know, a lot of people talk about Americana music, but I think that your record, this record, or your music in general feels very American in the sense that it actually moves around the whole country, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, like, like, like it, it's not about a particular region. It's not just about where you grew up. It's just not about just where you live, but it, but it, it feels like a breadth of the whole country. Does that make For sense? For sure. Too? Yeah. And I was thinking about how American this record is, even when I was making the album art, you know, like, we were really playing around with American archetypes. And I was just thinking about the mythology of America. And I think it's really powerful to place myself into those archetypes and be like, well, maybe I'm the James Dean. Maybe I'm the <laughs> cowboy. Just placing myself in those roles and playing around with it. I think that especially having a background in American folk music really mm -hmm. Uh, really affected all of that for me too. You know, when I first put out like Small Town Heroes in like 2014, I remember people interviewing me being like, how'd a little kid from the Bronx start <laughs> playing the banjo or something? I'm like, I don't know. I went to the Greenwich Village and I had the internet. And yeah. <laughs> like, I listen to Bob Dylan. It's like not that weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all get it all, right? I mean, yeah. we all, especially now. Um, how about the, the, you know, getting back to the punk thing, obviously your music has gone far and wide and a lot of different, you know, you've had a, a lot of different, um, connected with a lot of different audiences. How does the punk thing affect your sort of day-to-day -day as a musician? Like, mm -hmm. how do your experiences, like, how, how does that affect today? Well, it definitely affects who I want to work with, you know, who I want to collaborate with. I feel like I, I still... Sometimes I need to be like, oh, I guess this is a business. Oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> um, because I just, it's made me, I know what it feels like to collaborate with people that I just really, that want to support me and that I want to support and that I feel in community with. So I think I really try to bring that to who I make videos with and who I do photos with and just trying to like, you know, give jobs to people that I'm like, you're incredible and I believe in you and I and I believe in what you believe in, you know? Um, so that really affects like that aspect of it. And also I think where I find inspiration because mm -hmm. um, here in New Orleans, especially, we face a lot of very serious, you know, climate crises issues and racial injustice issues and, the way that people come together and, you know, there's a lot of solidarity and a lot of like communities taking care of each other, you know, we'll have a hurricane and lose electricity for like two weeks. And people are so good at coming together and making a, a outside kitchen and taking care of their neighbors. And I, I just feel like because I see that and I don't have a lot of skills in those areas, it makes me take pretty seriously like, okay, well, my role is to write songs. How do I do that in a way that's best, you know, 
like, how do I do that in like as ethical a way as possible or something? Like, I just feel like it, it makes me take my role seriously. That's, that's a super amazing way of saying it. I have, I have not heard it uh, verbalized that way, but that's a beautiful, that's a really cool thing. Do you think this, I don't know how to say it, but the, the record, this record seems like maybe your most direct record is, mm. is there something, would you agree with me there? Yeah. <laughs> Be, <laughs> you know, and I'll, I'll give that to grief also. Like I just, I think I, I love making records that are conceptual and I love like having a theme and playing with the theme and um, obviously I did that with my record, The Navigator and With Life on Earth. And for this record, I was just simply so exhausted. I couldn't really, there wasn't a, a the veil was thin, you know, between me and the listener. And I would show up at Brad Cook's studio and just be like, uh, like, you know, near tears and be like, okay, let's, let's do it. And he was really good at capturing me before I got too tired and finding the take that's like, okay, you're done. And even when I try to argue or be like, I don't know, I think I could do it better or something. I didn't have as much energy as I normally do. <laughs> so I just be like, okay, fine. <laughs> I guess that's the one. Were the musicians hearing it pretty pretty close to when you recorded it i mean are they oh or were yeah they, yeah um, yeah and i i get that there's there's that excitement of people listening and and i, I when you record that way i always feel like it the music becomes is more reactive to the song in some absolutely way. yeah we recorded everything in like 10 days mm -hmm. so you know people would come in and hear the song and be like what do you hear go ahead you know and it would be pretty much within the hour or we'd have the take Amazing. Amazing. So I have one more for you. And it's, um, it's one I've been trying to ask everyone. I haven't gotten to everyone, but how has your, your hometown's New York City? How has your relationship with your hometown changed since you left? Oh, New York breaks my heart sometimes. You know, it's a very uh, unforgiving place when it comes to nostalgia. That's another thing. Like, I, I think I like suffer from nostalgia. <laughs> I can talk about emotional memory. I'll feel an emotional memory about being in New York and, you know, the air is a certain way and a certain time in my life. And I'll just be confronted with how wherever I was going doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> and it's just such a fast paced place. And I think that's been my, my relationship is learning how to go there and, and understand that I don't you know, recognize a lot of it and, and somehow still be of there, you know, mm -hmm. somehow still hold on to my pride about being a New York city kid. Yeah. But recognizing that it's, it moves really fast. When uh, there was that movie about the book, the meet me in the bathroom and I went and yeah. saw it and, and, and what I, I, I couldn't pay attention to anything, but the one thing, cause I moved to New York in 2000. So when they would show like Avenue A and I would yeah. look in the background and I'd be like, oh my God, it used to look like that. I forgot because it moved, it, it, you're right, it moves fast, but it's also in some sense, 20 years goes by and you're like, oh, I forgot. It used to look different, you know? Like, totally. This storefront changes, then this storefront changes. And then you're like, wow, we got an Urban Outfitters. That sort of sucks. But then it becomes <laughs> yeah. all Urban Outfitters. And, and then you're like, 
oh, it's it's a completely different thing. Um, yeah, it really makes me appreciate growing up in the punk scene. Like there were these like punk historians, you know, people who like were in like the squatter riots in the 80s talking to us about it in 2001 and and us just being like, wow, crazy. That's what and we thought things were so different then. Now it's like really, really different. Um, but it makes me appreciate the people who hang in there. I definitely don't think I have the heart for it. You know, I think I'd be way too sensitive. My feelings would get hurt so much just from the city. I mean, I, I remember in reading in Maxim Rock and Roll about the squatter riots and before I was ever in New York City, you know, and yeah. uh, and 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 that battle still on some level still wages, right? For sure. Yeah. And it. That's the other thing about New York that um, does, it, it is like exciting for me is I'm like, even if I don't know what it is, there are some kids somewhere in an abandoned place doing some cool shit that I have no idea about. <laughs> and I have like a lot of faith in that. I have a lot of faith in that too. I also have faith in Alinda and Hooray for the Riff Raff. Their incredible new record, The Past is Still Alive. Check it out as soon as you're able. It's just great. Massive thanks to Alinda for being such a great guest. They'll be touring as well. So check out the show when it comes to your town. I am also on tour. I'll be in the UK and Ireland. Shows start February 20th in Belfast. We also visit Dublin, Leeds, Glasgow, Manchester, Birmingham, Portsmouth, and London for two shows. Some of these are sold out. Some are heading that way. Get your tickets now. The amazing songwriter and wit, Scott Levine, sports all dates. And on March 2nd at the Moth Club in London, we'll be doing a live version of this very podcast. Um, our guest will be author and bassist of legendary band Suede, Mr. Matt Osman. Uh, it's going to be great. Scott Levine will also take a turn in the guest chair. Very cool afternoon at the Moth Club. Join us March 2nd. Uh, show The show to follow that evening as well. So all dates are at craigfin.net. Check them out. The band The Whole Steady will also be in London March 8, 9, 10 for our annual weekender. Check out theholdsteady.net for info on that. It's going to be great. It always is. The Hold Steady also just announced some shows in uh, 2024. We'll be spending weekends in Toronto, Melbourne, Australia, Seattle, D.C., Denver, Atlanta. We hope you see you out there. It's going to be a great year. So thanks a bunch for listening. We couldn't have done it without you. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Linda Sagara. Hooray for the riffraff for being an amazing guest. We have even more great guests coming up, so keep listening, keep subscribing. Thanks for being a part of it. I'm Craig Finn, and that's how I remember it. 